Welcome to the next episode of Contagious Voice, aka the Time Traveler's Guide to Dragon Riding. I'm Jason Morris, and uh, as as per usual, I am coming to you starting from the gym parking lot. And uh, have to apologize. I'm actually rocking the Mini Cooper this morning, so I'm driving a stick, and it might be a little bit more noise than usual on the road. Uh, so I've been talking to you guys for a couple of days about the story, uh, the things that we learned from slugs. And um, yet again, I've not talked to my dad about this, and I still can't tell you. But, uh, you know, it occurred to me that this is probably about time to really start getting into the content of this podcast. Because what I'm finding out is as I try to approach this difficult conversation and come to it from a place of uh, presence and clarity is that there's stuff going on literally within my body when I think about approaching it. And uh, so I I think psychologists um, or neuroscientists would would call this being stuck, this stuck feeling. And... One of the reasons why I started doing this and started uh, talking about this topic and why I have such a passion for it is because it's it's super applicable to my own life, right? I actually learned this skill set primarily to help myself with some things. So I thought it might be interesting to unpack this process and talk a little bit about the skill set and and, uh, kind of go through how I would help somebody who I was coaching get at a, a solution to move forward with something like this. So when we look at we look at why people are doing what they're doing, uh, in the moment everything is driven by, I call it the three A's, uh, where your attention goes, that's the first A, your assessment of what has your attention, in other words, the meaning that you give it, and then the activation that it creates or that you bring into the world as a result of your assessment. So to, to, to help folks change, to, um, to get at the thought that is infecting them, as I have this infectious thought, uh, it's, it's first necessary to understand it and where it's coming from. And the way that you get to understanding it is asking questions. So I have to start asking myself the questions. And and the the first spot to ask about is how I'm being activated. What is the pattern of uh, activation? And when I think about bringing this topic up, uh, I I think what's what's actually happening is is I'm getting hit with a surge of adrenaline. Um, But it's not an excited adrenaline. It's like a panic adrenaline. Uh, it's, it's, it's basically a fear response. And it also seems to be triggering that whole thing I've been talking about with like the, the inability to, to verbalize or to vocalize. So I actually had thought that that reaction had been just purged from me. Uh, and I'll go through the process of of how that happened and why I no longer fear that. But as it turns out, I I do. It's still there. But now it is very, 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 very situational. And it seems to be only residing in this particular situation because this was one of the origin origin situations. 
Um, the, the way that um, I think Tony Robbins would put it is a significant emotional event. I had this, this uh, you know, whole body reaction to this event that happened so long ago in the woods. And every time I think about it, it triggers that same response and it makes it very difficult for me to talk about. <clears throat> and uh, unfortunately, unbeknownst to my father, uh, he was part of the trigger. Um, or at least he, he is, in my mind, associated with the trigger or anchored to the trigger. So when I think about this and I think about my father from this perspective in this context, I immediately get this whole body panic. My heart is hammering. I mean, I'm not just talking about a little bit. I'm talking about hammering like I just ran a marathon. So I know that's the adrenaline surge. And so now that I know the physical pattern, which as I go into kind of this fear response, like I just walked around the corner and bumped into a, a grizzly bear, uh, now the next thing is to, uh, to, to start changing this reaction. And the way to go about it is to look at the trigger in the memory and to use a, uh, a simple technique that uh, I, I think was probably uh, uncovered in the NLP. Uh, maybe it goes back to like Ericksonian or uh, psychology or, or um, Milton, Milton, I don't know. But um, at, at, at any rate, um, you do what's called a swish pattern, which is that you search your memory for the trigger and then recognize the fact that the memory that you have, in other words, this memory that I'm carrying around with it triggers this intense physiological uh, response, is to a certain extent, it's actually not, I don't want to say it's not a memory, uh, a large portion of your memory is actually imagination. Right, we don't remember every single detail. We just remember what what was most uh, like prevalent, prevalent or the most um, representative of the situation. The things that actually, the details that actually uh, were unique that would uh, would come come back to to resident memory if you re-encounter those circumstances. But everything else in the environment, you basically make up. Okay, it's imagination. So memory is a large portion. In in large portion, it's imagination. Like you think of some some uh, intense situation, whether it's joyful or scary or sad or what have you. And there's there's a couple very specific things that you probably remember in vivid detail. But when you try and go outside of those very specific things, the rest of it you're inventing. Uh, you know, you're just you're just substituting those other things in order to make it seem real. And this has been documented. I mean, this is not a new thing. You've probably even heard it before. Uh, but, but this has been documented by psychologists for years, is that a lot of memory is, in, is, uh, is imagination. So if we know that memory is in large part imagination, and we get to choose our imaginings, if we're purposeful about it, <clears throat> I can go back to this memory and I can watch it all the way through. Uh, I tend to remember in a series of snapshots and then it's assembled into like a live action movie. <clears throat> and as I think of this event, I'm actually still looking at it literally through my eyes, uh, through the eyes of, of a uh, you know, six-year-old child. I'm, I'm literally in my body. So I'm feeling it the same way. So, you know, watch it, 
one last time through and I feel the emotions. And then what I do is I go through and I start changing it. So the very first thing I do is I try and tinker with the details and I don't want to alter too much of it. At first, I just want to see if I can make it move. So what I'll do is I'll see if I can intensify the feeling by making it louder and closer and brighter. Okay, so can I make it more intense? And as I find out, like as I look at this, I find out that I can. I can picture, for example, or I can imagine actually, because this is not part of the memory, but I can imagine what my breathing must have been like. You know, rapid and panting and panicked. And uh, as I imagine this, it comes more, more strongly into my body. And uh, so I can, and, and when it does, I can actually intensify the feeling. And then I can imagine my facial expression and that intensifies it more. And then I can imagine it closer and I can imagine the smells and that intensifies it even more. So I can actually work this level of panic up until it's really good and, and, and intense. And you might be able to, if you don't have a specific event that you're thinking of, uh, you know, you might be able to remember back to the childhood days when you really, really, really wanted something. And so what you would do is you would work yourself up into a fit and actually make yourself cry. I think all of us have probably gone through that phase where we deliberately try and make ourselves cry. And the way that we do that is we just take on the physiology of sadness. We've been to that state so many times as a child that we can go there in our imagination and actually create a result in our body. Okay, so you can produce a physical result in the world through imagination. Now that's really powerful from the perspective of, uh, of the idea of manifesting things. So when a thought becomes resident in your physiology, that is literally bringing something from your mind into the physical world. And then what you do with your body as a result is the beginning of that process that, you know, anybody who follows like the, the positive thinking psychology and law of attraction, uh, that is literally where you're starting to bring your thoughts into the world as things. So what I'm doing here is I am taking control over this memory and I'm starting to add components to it to modify it with imagination. Okay, so now what I want to do, now that I've made it more intense, I realize I can make it bigger. That means that I can shrink it back down to the way I normally remember it. So I've gone from bigger to smaller. So I've modified the size. And I also can go from louder to quieter. And now I realize, okay, if I can make it smaller, that means I can make it even smaller. And as I make it even smaller and a little bit dimmer and a little bit quieter, I notice that the feelings start to recede. And I can look at it more objectively. So I start making it bigger and I start making it smaller. So I'm actually gaining control over this event that previously I had no control over. And whenever I thought of it, it would just trigger me. And I would feel it in my body as if I was actually there. Okay? And I would get that selective mutism that I was talking about where I just can't talk about it. I choke up. And everybody's had those feelings where they choke up. And this is something that consistently chokes me up. So now I can push it off into the distance and I can make it the size of a golf ball, right? And now that's an interesting image since I brought that image in. Why don't I just put the little dimples all over it? And so now it's no longer this moving image, but it's actually printed on a golf ball. So what I'm doing is I'm using the analogies that my subconscious is giving me. And so now I can take this golf ball with this image printed on it, which now feels like a golf ball and not this painful circumstances, I can look at it and I can turn it around and I can spin it and I can bounce it on my palm. 
But more importantly, now that I've got it in the form of a golf ball, I can take it and I can put it on a tee. And so now I've got this image that is on a tee at the bot at, at my feet. And so now what I do is I go into a different pattern and I go into the pattern of confidence that I have when I tee up a golf ball and I can already see the strike swinging clean and I can hear the ping as it strikes the ball and I know I've hit the sweet spot. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna line up on this memory and I'm gonna take my couple of little practice waggles and I'm gonna straighten my back and I'm gonna strengthen my legs and I'm gonna get my head down over the ball and I'm gonna look at this ball one last time I'm gonna go into my backswing and I'm gonna swing through it. And I'm gonna watch the impact and I'm gonna hear the ping. And then, as I'm certain that I've got my follow through, all the way there, I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna watch it sail off into the distance. And I'm not doing it on a golf course where I'm going back to the ball over and over and over again. I'm not gonna do that, I'm on a driving range. Where it just goes back out there with all those other balls that I've hit, dozens and dozens and dozens of balls and it just gets lost. And then it gets picked up by the, the golf ball picker. And then other people take that thing and drive it away. So now not, not only am I driving it away, but other people are just bashing the crap out of that image over and over and over again. And now, because I can bring the, the sweet swing into my physiology, I've actually taken a place where I am resourceful physically and I've attached it to that memory. But first I had to detach it by driving it away so small that I couldn't feel it in my body anymore. And then I brought it back and I attached it to a more positive emotion. There is nothing that gives me a greater sense of pleasure. That's not true, but, but almost nothing. Pleasure and satisfaction. There's just nothing more satisfying to me than hitting a sweet shot and watching that ball fly off and hit the net. And knowing I, don't, I think I can just pick up another one, I can hit another one, I can do it over and over and over again. But now when I go back and I try and access that memory, I can't see anything but my sweet swing. And you know, here's the interesting thing that my subconscious is offering up is that I love to golf with my father. And now I'm feeling a different sense in my physiology and I'm feeling closure and I'm feeling completeness and I'm feeling connection. Because we can sit and we can sit at the driving range and we can make stupid jokes about worm burners and slices that are so bad that they'll swing around and hit you in the back of the head. And now I've got this thing connected to a sense of camaraderie and happiness and connection with my father where before I did this exercise, it brought hammering into my chest. And now, I want to call my dad and go golfing. <laughs> and it can be as simple as that. And you can use these words to talk to yourself 
And if you learn these techniques and you get good at this, you can take things that are incredibly painful and you can reassociate them to something that, that brings you joy. If you know the process, and it's a very simple process. So thoughts are, a conta or thoughts are infectious. Words are the contagion. And as it turns out, you can use them like a vaccine to inoculate yourself. And once you've inoculated yourself and you clean up your own physiology, you clean up your own mental and emotional state and bring it back into a state of health and balance, you can communicate more clearly to other people. And in the process, what you're saying becomes infectious and you have contagious voice. And I think that's what we're going to wrap up. And I'm going to dub this episode The Things We Learn From Golf. No, no, don't like the sound of it. The Things We Learn While Golfing. There we go. As always, I wish you peace. I wish you peace. I don't wish you peach. Eh, you can have some peaches. I wish you peace. I wish you passion. I wish you purpose and presence on the path. I'm Jason Morris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you on the next episode.